Hey, podcast family, I am on location, so I'm not in the studio, so please forgive the weird audio, if there's weird audio, and or background noise, because I am in my office. But don't worry, nobody's getting left behind, because we are in a lull. Actually, I think somebody's getting triaged, but nonetheless, they're not ready yet. So I decided to be proactive and start the episode because just yesterday I had a super interesting conversation online with one of our podcast family members. And the question had to do with IUD, elective IUD placements, we're not talking about emergency contraception, elective IUD placement when BV is diagnosed. Is that safe? Are we going to risk PID? And what does the data say? It may sound like it's very straightforward, but it actually isn't. Because some of the things in print are super confusing. Nonetheless, there is national guidance here and national recommendations. So here's a clinical question. You're about to place an IUD, not for emergency contraception, just electively, and you find bacterial vaginosis. Now, does it matter if she's symptomatic or asymptomatic? Should you treat first and then bring her back for IUD placement? Or should you place right away without the added concern of increased risk of PID? So what would you do? Place immediately and then evaluate or evaluate first and then place secondarily. We're going to get to that very question in this episode and it's a good one and it's happened to me. I don't know if it's happened to you but it happens not infrequently. You just show up about to place the IUD and you're like oh hello. I mean did you not think that there was any kind of discharge which they may not because remember in some reports up to 75 to 80 percent of patients may be asymptomatic. So would you place the IUD at that time or not. We're going to cover that in this episode. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Hi, Ellie. Hello. Ellie, you're about to place an IUD, not for emergency birth control, right? Just, hi, I'm here for my IUD. You put in the speculum and holy moly, looks like there's probably BV. Uh, Would you place the IUD? Probably not. All right. So first of all, you can't see it, but there was a face of hesitation. (laughs) Now, now think about it. Is this clinic? These are good questions, right? All this started, Ellie, because somebody sent me a, a, a Facebook message on the podcast site and said, can I or can I not? What is kind of the guidance here? Now, you said probably not. So we're going to go with, it's either yes or no, so we're going to go with no. Is that fair? Yes. Okay, and the whole reason that you wouldn't is likely what? To avoid pushing any infection up into... Yeah, so prevention of PID. Yeah. Sounds super logical. All right, hang in there. I'm not going to tell you that's yes or no, because we're going to get to that information in just a moment. All right, so Ellie is one of our nurse practitioners, so we got her answer, but now I'm with Dr. Nicolette Lewis. Hi. So Nicolette is one of our very, very good uh, residents. But I have a question for you, Nicolette. You're about to place an IUD on a patient. It's not emergency contraception, right? So just elective. Hi, I'm here for my IUD. And you put in the speculum and holy moly, it looks like there's a lot of abundant discharge, probably BV. Would you place the IUD? No. All right. So I got not only a maybe, maybe not. I got a hard no. All right. So we've got two no's. From an MP, again, super evidence-based, and Nicolette Lewis, super evidence-based. Nicolette, you got to listen to the episode. Hey, Dr. Williamson. What's going on? So I'm here with Brandon Williamson. We have a great time, right? Oh, yeah. 
Okay, so he has no idea what I'm about to just totally uh, bombard him with. It's easy. Don't worry. Super easy. Okay. All right, Dr. Williamson, you do IUDs. I mean, totally, right? Yes, sir. If you were about to do it, an elective IUD, it's not for emergency contraception. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm here for my IUD. Mm-hmm. You put in the speculum and, and sure looks like there's active BV in there. Mm-hmm. Would you place the IUD? Place and test. My goodness. Mm-hmm. So now let me now let me just tell you this because he had no idea I was going to ask him that. Mm-hmm. You are the out of my you, out of my three people. You're the only one who got it correct. Okay. High five. So he said, "Place and test." All right. Let's see if that's what the guidelines say. All right. I think they hate it when I ambush them without <laughs> prior prep. But this is how you get honest answers. So I want you all to see what just happened there. We got two seasoned healthcare providers, um, MP and, and one of our residents who know the data and all in patient protection, all in being conservative, both said no, because I mean, you're not going to instrument the uterus, right? When there's an active vaginal condition, it sounds right, but is it? And this is why this provider, um, who again, I don't know personally, but it was through a, a, one of our uh, podcast uh, Facebook uh, communications, uh, was really kind of st- uh, you know, stumped because he wanted to take care of the patient, didn't want to leave the patient, however, uh, unprotected uh, from unplanned pregnancy. So he he basically ran himself into a circle with, wait, do I or do I not do it? Uh, from that real world clinical presentation that he had in his office. And there's guidance because nothing that Ellie or that Dr. Lewis said is incorrect. We always want to protect the patient. But that's actually not the right answer. Because while we definitely want to protect the patient, not placing the IUD is actually against guideline. Because you can. I'm going to explain it a little bit more in this episode. But this is where this confusion comes in. Because uh, with with a vaginal condition that's not normal, the fear is that we're somehow going to see the endometrial cavity. But there's data that has shown that the chance of that happening is incredibly small. And again, we're going to discuss all of this. But intuitively, you would think, well, well, no, I don't want to place it. But actually, that's not what the guidelines say. And that's not what the CDC says. I'm going to explain all of this coming up in just a moment. Well, before we take a look at some of the hard data, I think some of the confusion for this has to do with a history of cervicitis, gonorrhea, or chlamydia that has not been treated. That is a contraindication for IUD placement. Okay, so just to be very clear, if you know that they have gonorrhea and chlamydia by a recent test and they have not been treated, you should not place the IUD. That is standard. Now, hold on, because this actually reminds me back on December the 15th, 2022. So it's been a while. I actually talked about this in a separate episode. So you can go back into the archive. And it was uh, something like timed IUD placement after chlamydia treatment. So if you if the patient comes in, hey, I've got gonorrhea, chlamydia, I want an IUD. Um, great. I'm glad you want the IUD. We got to fix your gonorrhea and chlamydia. Get them treated and then place it after a set time. Now, you got to go back and listen to that episode from December 2022 because we talk about, well, man, do you have to wait three months or retest them again? That's so long. And the answer is no. Okay, you don't have to wait that long. But you do need to treat them first. So if they come in with uh, with a known diagnosis, I've got gonorrhea and chlamydia uh, like two weeks ago, they told me and I haven't had any medicine, but I really want you to put a Mirena in me right now. The answer is no. You got to get that address first and then delay placement. 
See, this is different. Knowing is different than not knowing and doing a point of care test at time of insertion. Okay, but you can do a test of uh, a test of infection at time of placement, and and that's no problem. If you then find that they have gonorrhea, chlamydia after you've placed the IUD. Leave the IUD in place, and then the standard is, of course, just to get them treated. But but the issue has to do with knowing beforehand, because if you know that there's an active cervical infection, gonorrhea or chlamydia, whether they're symptomatic or not, that is considered a contraindication to IUD placement until that active cervical infection is treated. That goes into the premise of first do no harm. But if you don't know, then you can definitely place it. That's why point-of-care testing is a thing. A lot of this data comes from the Wash U, the Contraceptive Choice Project that showed you can actually do point-of-care testing for gonorrhea and chlamydia in at-risk individuals at time of placement without increasing the rate of PID, even in those who were found then to have gonorrhea and chlamydia after insertion. Just get them treated. So if you don't know, you can investigate at time of placement unless they have a, a pre-existing and recent gonorrhea and chlamydia culture based on CDC guidelines. But if you know they have an untreated active cervical infection, you shouldn't place the IUD, okay? It all has to do with uh, being aware first and then primum non nocere, first do no harm, okay? And this is where some of that confusion, I think, comes from because as you would not place an IUD with active gonorrhea or chlamydia cervical infection, then that translates over to, well, I guess then I wouldn't place an IUD with active bacterial vaginosis. But remember that BV is not cervicitis and BV isn't even an infection, which is kind of unfortunate that BV bacterial vaginosis is under the title of vaginitis because, I mean, that's where it belongs along with uh, trichomoniasis and candida. But BV, remember, it's not an actual infection. It's just an altered condition. It's a dysbiosis. It's a vaginosis. That's why it's not called bacterial vaginitis. It's called bacterial vaginosis. So you got several reasons why uh, I think people get confused. You wouldn't place an IUD with active cervical infection if you know that they're actively infected beforehand, and that translates over to abnormal vaginal conditions. By the way, even though we're focusing on BV, we're also going to touch on trichomoniasis because it's exactly the same recommendation that I'm going to give you here in a minute, whether the patient has symptomatic or asymptomatic BV or symptomatic or asymptomatic trichomoniasis. Both of those through national guidelines absolutely say you should probably still place the IUD, whether it's copper tea or morena. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. I'm going to give you those references. So it's very um, not intuitive. Uh, and I'm going to give you one more reason when I come back why there's more confusion. And it has to do with the presence of BV, symptomatic or asymptomatic, and gynecological surgery. And that is what also confuses healthcare providers. So Dr. Lewis and Ellie's comment, I totally get that. Just trying to be conservative, do the right thing, being a patient advocate, right? Trying to prevent PID. However, the flip side of that is that having her come back risks her not coming back and it still leaves her unprotected against undesired pregnancy. So this is why we got to know what the guidance is, all right? And again, I'm going to give you the CDC info. I'm going to give you the studies that have shown that 
Yes, you can actually place it with BV, whether they're symptomatic or not. That's a totally different issue. You want to know if they're symptomatic so that you can find what they're symptomatic from and treat them to get rid of symptoms, but that has nothing to do with the IUD placement. And if they're asymptomatic and you find discharge, you should still look for not BV because there's no indication to screen for BV in an asymptomatic patient at time of IUD placement. Um, But there is an indication to, to look for a potential STI. So whether she is symptomatic, where you're looking for the cause to take away your symptoms, or asymptomatic, where there's a bunch of weird discharge, you're not just going to go, oh, well, that's weird and kind of gross, but all right, see you next time. No, you're going to investigate. You're going to do your point of care test for gonorrhea and chlamydia, and you're going to look for things that are uh, STIs, like trichomonas. So if they're symptomatic, you're going to investigate what they're symptomatic from to get rid of their symptom. And if they're asymptomatic with weird discharge, you can still place the IUD as long as it's not active cervical infection. Do your point of care gonorrhea, chlamydia, and look for trichomoniasis. But that has nothing to do with the IUD placement. That has to do with identification of an STI for overall health maintenance. Does that make sense? So we're going to give you, I'm going to wrap all of this up at the end and give it a real nice little bow of how this would look, all right? But for now, he, he, I'm, I'm trying to get into the, the, the reason why there's this confusion, okay? And number one, it has to do with active cervical infection being a contraindication. We've already talked about that. And second, there is an indication for screening for BV before certain gen procedures, specifically hysterectomy. Now, remember, that's not a hard mandate. It's a may consider uh, screening for, for BV because it can help reduce uh, cuff cellulitis uh, and breakdown. And that was back in ACOG's practice bulletin from 2018. That was number 195. That was prevention of infections after gynecological surgery. Now, to be very clear, again, a lot of that data came from a time where uh, pre-op antibiotics weren't really a thing and vaginal prepping was not standard and uniform. But ACOG does state that given the low risk of bacterial vaginosis screening and treatment, screening for bacterial vaginosis during the pre-op visit and initiation of therapy with flagell uh, can be considered before hysterectomy. Again, it's not a hard mandate, but it's definitely something that can be considered. Low risk of screening, and in this case, potentially some value. So there is a guidance for screening for BV in the asymptomatic patient, but only before hysterectomy. Yep, I'm looking at the ACOG practice bulletin right now, and it's very clear. Quote, can be considered, end quote. So remember we've talked about before, words matter, right? So it's not should be or highly recommend. This is can be considered because a lot of these, remember, were old studies and having to do with issues with uh, uh, pre-op antibiotic prophylaxis. But ACOG, uh, just to round this out, ACOG does state, quote, if the therapy duration of five to seven days encroaches on the scheduled time of surgery, it would be reasonable to continue therapy perioperatively for at least four days, end quote. All right, all to make the case that there is one very unique time for screening for asymptomatic BV, and that is a could-be-considered-before-hysterectomy. So if somebody ever tells you, oh, we don't screen for asymptomatic BV, the answer is absolutely correct, unless she's getting a hysterectomy where it may be considered. 
All right, so we've just made the case that there is no universal screening guideline for screening for asymptomatic BV, whether in pregnancy or not, all right? I mean, it's just not a thing, nor is treatment of asymptomatic BV. Now, super controversial because there's obvious evidence that having BV, because it lowers the host defenses in the vagina, right? There's lower lactobacilli. BV is considered a facilitator condition, right? It makes the acquisition of gonorrhea and chlamydia and even HIV more likely. We know that. And there's definitely been cases where pathogens associated with BV have been found guilty of causing PID. So BV isn't necessarily all um, innocent, right? But there's no screening guideline right now for asymptomatic BV even in pregnancy, okay? So don't screen for it and don't treat it if they're asymptomatic. Yes, controversial, but as right now, no real benefit. We treat BV to get rid of symptoms, okay? So this is where some of the confusion lies while we screen for gonorrhea and chlamydia before IUD. Should we be screening for other things like TRIC or BV? Uh, those aren't issues. Okay, that's not a guideline to screen for TRIC or BV. It is a guideline that if you see abnormal discharge to try to figure out what that is to prevent STI transmission down the road, especially if they're asymptomatic because they won't know otherwise, um, and or if they're symptomatic, try to identify that agent so you can make them better. That makes sense. But here's where some of this confusion comes in. Oh, I think my MPs are laughing it up in the other room. Did y'all hear that? If not, trust me, they're laughing it up in the other room. Nothing with what we're doing. They're having their own conversation. Okay, one of the joys of trying to tape in the office with open doors. Um, but here's where, where this also becomes confusing because I am looking right now at the instructions for use, the package insert, right, for Morena, which was last updated August 2022. Okay, it says revised August 2022. This is free press. Obviously, it's in every Morena box or you can look online. But under contraindications, guys, here's where it gets tricky, okay? Because here's what the manufacturer, here's what Bayer says regarding Morena, which is the same for Kylina and Skyla and even for the copper tea, okay? It says one of the contraindications, quote, untreated acute cervicitis, that's a yes, or vaginitis, or other lower tract genital infection, end quote. See, they kind of combined them together, and they should not have. They should have left acute untreated surfacitis alone. That's a definite no. Um, but vaginitis, really? That's actually not what the CDC says. Now, Remember, put this in perspective, this is the manufacturer. They're trying to protect the device to keep it innocent so it doesn't get thrown under the bus due to other conditions. That's fine. But if you ever asked, does the manufacturer consider untreated vaginitis uh, or other lower genital tract infection a contraindication to its IUD placement? The answer is yes. And I'm looking again at the current Mirena instructions for use by the manufacturer. So just by that, placing the IUD in a patient with BV, symptomatic or not, right? That doesn't matter. That's, that's an aside, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But placing the IUD in a patient with BV would then be off-label, which I'm totally okay with. We do a lot of things off-label. By the label of a manufacturer, uh, it only means that that's the original criteria that was used for the trial for approval, okay? So, but to be, to be very accurate... It is listed as a contraindication to place Mirena in a patient with, quote, active cervicitis, which I agree with, or uh, active vaginitis, which I do not agree with. All right, everyone, I think we're going to take a little pause here, take a little breather. And then when we come back, I'm going to give you some of the data here that's, uh, that makes my point 
and doesn't at the exact same time. <laughs> and, and I'm not nuts, but I'm going to read you something that's in the literature, which no wonder healthcare providers are confused. Because I'm going to read you this, this one publication on this very topic that, again, makes my point and doesn't. And then we're going to get to our final, the, the, the synchronon, the without doubt answer, which is the CDC guideline based on the MEC, medical eligibility criteria. So lots of stuff still coming up, but let's take a little break and then we'll regroup in just a couple of seconds. Well, in my little hiatus, I actually saw several patients and actually changed offices. So I'm in my second office for the day. So thank goodness for editing. Okay, we've made the point here that there is no guideline for screening for BV at time of IUD placement. Now, if a patient is symptomatic, you should absolutely still look for what's given her symptoms to give her treatment to make her feel better. But that is secondary to placement of the IUD, okay? Barring, of course, an active cervical infection. And if she is asymptomatic, but you notice discharge, don't ignore it like it's nothing there, like nothing to see here. No, I mean, she's got abnormal discharge. And while we don't screen for asymptomatic BV, you can absolutely screen for trick because that's part of health maintenance to catch uh, and stop the spread of an STI, okay? So, but those are separate issues. Those are health maintenance and resolution of symptoms in the symptomatic patient, neither of which uh, have to do with the IUD placement itself. When I was a resident, we used to use Hatcher's uh, little book on contraceptive technology. Y'all remember that? It was this little tiny little book, uh, like a, a, a pocket companion, and it was super helpful. Um, I haven't had that in years, but but even in Hatcher's book, it still states right there that if a patient who desires an IUD is found to have abnormal discharge compatible with bacterial vaginosis, testing and appropriate treatment can be given, but there is no indication to delay placement of the intrauterine device. Well, there you go. So again, that's right out of Hatcher's Contraceptive Technology, and I'm looking at the 21st edition, all right? So Hatcher, 21st edition, Contraceptive Technology. Um, No, you don't have to delay placement of the IUD. Now, I want to be very clear here about about something. Look, if you choose to treat first, to identify and then treat and have her come back, there is nothing wrong with that. It's just not best practice. Okay, so I want to be very clear, especially for those who are getting ready to do their oral board. If you're asked, would you see uh, and treat and place IUD, IUD at the same time, the answer is yes. And again, we got a lot of that data from the St. Louis Contraceptive Choice Project, where even those who had no idea what they had, right, just point of care screening and then placed it, and then, oh, you find out later, three days later when her results come back, uh, hey, her gonorrhea is positive or chlamydia is positive, all right, just get her treated. No higher uh, with the risk for PID. The trick is, though, if you know beforehand, then best practice is not to place with an active cervical infection. You should treat that first. But that's different than vaginal conditions, all right? So if you want to see a diagnose and then treat and then place the IUD afterwards, that's okay. But it's not best practice because there's really no guidance that says you should delay placement of the IUD before that's Uh, I mean, after that's treated, okay? Now, I'm going to give you the CDC guideline here, whether you use the app like I do or just do it old school and look it up and look at the chart. Um, It's very clear there what number designation this this falls under, okay? I'm going to give you that in a minute. 
By the way, guys, I'm so sorry. I'm still getting over the bronchitis. And so I know sometimes my voice goes in and out and I hope you don't hear it. Like there it was right there. But I hear it. I'm super aware. So let's just pretend everything is good and we'll keep going. All right. Well, now that we've done that, I do want to read to you one publication about screening for BV at time of IUD placement. Okay, this was from 2017 in a very select population. Okay, it wasn't even in the U.S. This was in Southwest Nigeria. Okay, the title of this publication, again, from 2017, the title is Screening for Bacterial Vaginosis Before Intrauterine Device Insertion at a Family Planning Clinic in Southwest Nigeria. Okay. All right. So this is exactly what we're talking about here, right? So the short of it is patients who presented, hey, I'm just here for my IUD, no problem. They, they had routine screening of everybody who went in for uh, IUD insertion uh, for BV. All right, fine. Now, what they found is, I just want to get to the results here to make this point here, because they, they, they made the point for us and they backpedaled. So let me explain. So in this population, about 33% of those who presented for uh, IUD insertion were actually found to have bacterial vaginosis, right? 33%, which is pretty much in line with the general population. Now, most of those were asymptomatic, again, as it is in the general population. So here's what the authors state, quote, The results of this study support previous work showing no significant clinical complications among women found to have BV at the time of IUD insertion, end quote. Okay. See, I told you that made our point for us. So no, there's no benefit to screen for BV before IUD placement. Great. But wait, the immediate next sentence states, However, screening and treatment before IUD insertion must be offered to all users who are symptomatic to prevent complications. All right. Uh Uh-huh. See, it's not about having symptoms or not. That's the phenotypic expression of the condition. It's the condition itself, whether you're symptomatic or not. If we're going to allow IUD placement uh, to occur in patients who have BV, then we're going to allow patients who have BV to have IUD placement. It's regardless of whether they're symptomatic or not. Does that make sense? If they're symptomatic, you should offer them treatment to get rid of their complaint. But if they're asymptomatic, you don't have to treat that because there's no benefit to treat asymptomatic BV. So again, I told you this publication made our point that there was no increased risk and complications for those who were found to screen positive for BV at time of placement. So if it didn't change outcome, why do it? But then they go on and say, oh, but wait a minute, if they're symptomatic, though, you, you, you should screen them. Well, it's not really that you're screening them for that, for, for BV. Now you're looking for a cause of their symptoms. Those are two separate things. Does everybody, did y'all get that? Does that make sense? Does it make sense to me? If you are symptomatic for abnormal discharge, um, unless you severely think it's gonorrhea or chlamydia, which you can do point of care testing at that time as well, um, screen for BV. And if it's positive, get them treated. But that has nothing to do with your IUD placement. In that case, for symptoms, you're looking for resolution of symptoms to make them better. And if they're asymptomatic, but you notice abnormal discharge, look for STIs to prevent their further continuance of transmission. But again, no serious complications for those found to have BV at time of IUD placement. So what's the take-home message? Just place the IUD. And if they have discharge and they're symptomatic, make them feel better. But if they're asymptomatic and you see discharge, try to figure out if it's an STI so that you can prevent its further transmission. But that has nothing to do with the IUD placement itself. All right, podcast families, we get ready to wrap this up. Let me just leave you with the CDC's 
um, medical eligibility chart and what they have to say about this, okay? Now, remember, this is different than active known cervical infection. We're talking about vaginitis. I have the um, WHO slash CDC medical eligibility uh, contraceptive app. It's free. It's super helpful. I don't get any uh, any plugs in. Any, it's not a sponsor uh, for saying that. I just think it's super helpful. Or you can look old school, again, as we just mentioned, uh, on the CDC, on the color-coded uh, chart, all right? But let me read you exactly what it states here uh, based on the app on placement of IUD, whether it's Mirena uh, or progestin-related or the, the copper T, in the presence of vaginitis. As I'm taping this, I'm actually playing with the app. So I am in the CDC Contraception 2016 uh, app. It's on my iPhone. And you go under, um, on the left-hand side, you click on MEC by condition, Okay, you can also do it by method, but of course, I'm looking uh, at this here based on the condition. And you have to, there's a little plus sign under sexually transmitted diseases. I hate that it says diseases, really should say infections, but it is what it is. Plus, I hate that BV is listed under this because, oh, yes, most BV happens in sexually active women, but even virgins can get it, but they had to stick it in somewhere. So you click on the little plus sign under sexually transmitted diseases, and it's right there. It's vaginitis including trichomoniasis and bacterial vaginosis. So you highlight that, you press continue, and boom, it just pops up. For the category of initiation of the copper IUD or the levonorgestrel IUD, which is really IUS, come on, CDC, the levonorgestrel uh, IUS, both of those are category two. All right, that's a light green, which is, yeah, a little bit of theoretical risk, but the benefits still greatly outweigh any theoretical risk. So there it is, guys. So that don't take my word for it. It is actually, it's okay by the CDC. If you have BV or trick. now that doesn't mean you shouldn't treat that. I mean, if you're symptomatic, again, you should treat it. And even if you're asymptomatic with trick, you should treat that because that's an STI. But it makes the point here that vaginitis, unlike the instructions for use by the manufacturer for Morena, which lists that as a contraindication, both of these are light green, category two. So let's bring this home. Is it okay to place an IUD with bacterial vaginosis, whether it's symptomatic or not? The answer is absolutely. Is it okay also to treat them and then bring them back? Yes, that's okay, but you're leaving them with a time that's unprotected. So if you see abnormal discharge, the next question is to say, I'm sorry, have you noticed any weird discharge or odor? And if they say yes, identify the pathogen and get it treated for resolution of symptoms. And if they say, no, I've been totally fine, go, no problem. I do see a little bit of discharge. We will test that to make sure it's nothing that we need to be aware of, but we're still going to place the intrauterine device or system. And if it comes back as trichomoniasis, then you've identified an STI, you can treat it, and you can hopefully block further transmission. But is BV a contraindication to IUD placement? Not according to current medical guidelines and according to the CDC. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap, which is good because I just saw my patient go into a room. So I hope you found this helpful. Let me know what your thoughts are on this. I mean, do you place the IUD at the time of BV recognition or do you bring them back? Just curious. But if you do place the IUD at that time, it is absolutely okay. It's category two, according to the CDC. All right, everyone. Thanks for being part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.